0: Welcome to the museum everybody we are here og3 myself emily and bradley and we What's have up? we have two guests today <laughs> two guests today we're working with vitelli today from vitelli we have owen weikert here who is the business development manager and bryce schumann who is the seed stock sales director and we're excited to have them on today because we're going to be talking about their company uh some of the technologies that they have and how they're married together and how that that really works for them and how it, it could benefit you as well Thank you for being here, Owen and Bryce. Thank Thanks you. Yep. Okay, so before we get real into everything, there's two questions we <laughs> ask. Actually, yet. really what? quick,
1: I am gonna cut in and interrupt you again, Joe, because, you know, that's <laughs> tradition. Um, but I do want to give a quick shout out to a good friend of mine and Owens and a fan of the Moose Room, Brent. Uh, he's actually the one who originally connected Owen to us to be on the show. And we're so excited that he's with us now. So thank you, Brent. Shout out to you. Um, and yes, listeners, if you have ideas and people you want to connect us to, let us know. Yeah. Brent's the, the, original, um, best friend the world of him and he just is such a great dairyman.
0: Uh, yeah. I, I've only met him once in passing and I've been on his farm and you can tell right away when you get onto it that it's running very smoothly.
1: I think the world of him so I thank Brent as well and thank you guys for having us. This is our my first time at least on the podcast so I can't wait to see how it goes.
0: We have two questions that we ask every guest. So we're going to start with Owen. We're going to get you both questions here. And the first question is, what is your favorite dairy breed?
1: I'm a brown cow guy to the core. You know, I'm, I'm about five foot three. I'm a Jersey guy. They yes, fit <laughs> correct answer. Yeah, they fit, they fit sustainability, which I think we're going to be talking about today. I am just so passionate about jerseys and their hybrids. I think that, you know, talking about Brent, still, I think the first time I saw a three way cross was on his dairy. And um, I, it wasn't all that long ago. I mean, I grew up out east where no one crossbreeds still, very, very few people. And just to see him milking these Jersey crosses and Monty crosses, I just think that the Jersey is today and tomorrow, and goodbye, everything else. I hope so. Anyway, that's, that. that's how much I love the brown cow. <laughs> wow,
0: that is the correct answer. Absolutely yes. <laughs> correct answer for Bradley and I. We are Jersey guys as well. So, and
1: yeah. and could you tell when you first said brown cows, we all leaned in because we're like, wait, which brown cow?
0: <laughs> okay, so right. same same question we're looking for, but we're talking about beef now. What's your favorite beef breed?
1: Oh my gosh, I, this is. I am really a big proponent of Gelbees, and and I think that they can. They are such an adaptable animal. I grew up in shorthorn show cattle and just knowing what those things can do as a recipient mother, um, but also what they can do out in the nothingness of Wyoming and South Dakota. To me, that's just a really versatile and an touched breed that, that we need to embrace more as a whole industry. I'm a big Galby guy. Yep.
0: All right. Well, that's, that's a new one. We hadn't <laughs> had it on the list yet. That's pretty surprising yeah. that it hadn't been on there yet. But it's good. We'll update the totals after we get to Bryce here.
2: So Bryce, what is your favorite breed of dairy cow? I grew up on a small diversified crop and livestock farm and and we had Holsteins, but being a beef guy, I just think the Holstein Jersey Cross is the right one for the industry. So I'm going to (laughs) hedge. You're going to hedge. Owen's clapping. (laughs) We, we don't.
1: We don't true. allow
0: hedging on the dairy side. We made this. We, we decided this quite a while ago. So you have to pick. So
1: awesome, though, about that response is <laughs> is just the, the sheer reality of the value of heterosis in
3: the dairy space. I agree. I and agree. and I just, <laughs> begrudgingly, apparently,
1: I, I just think that it's a beautiful thing, and we need to just
3: all say it as an industry
0: okay okay so i'm saying it
3: right here i think it's great but jersey on holstein so that means jersey would be the top one so there's another (laughs) well
0: there you go you have your answer jersey it is jersey it is (laughs) all right right. i'll take it i'm gonna say that predominantly jersey right that's what you're going for Bryce. i'll allow it yes
2: no no (laughs) okay
1: this is cheating collusion
0: (laughs) it is not it is not okay let's get to beef bryce what is your favorite beef breed
2: but I I grew up with Herfords. I worked for American Angus for 15 years. I love both breeds. Uh, again, being a beef guy and the value of heterosis, if you're not going to let me choose Black Baldy, I'm going to have to say Herford. Yeah. Okay, so
3: no, do Black Baldy do that? Yeah. No, so here's
2: the
0: deal. Uh, yeah. We will allow you to choose Hereford, but we have allowed heterosis for only. The Black nope. Baldy, it, it is if you want Herford. to choose the Black Baldy.
2: Well, that, that's the industry ultimate.
0: All right, Black there Baldy. it is. Black, Black Baldy, Baldy, not Hertford. Nope. nope.
3: Thank you. So.
0: <laughs> okay, so let's up to, update these totals here. After all of that, on the dairy side, we have Holsteins at six, Jerseys at six, Brown Swiss at four, Dutch Belted at two, Normandy at one, and Montbelliard at one. And then on the beef side, we have Hereford still leading the pack at six. Black Angus at four. Nina at one. Brahman at one. Stabilizer at one. Scottish Highlander at one. Gelby at one. And now moving up the board, Black Baldies at two. Nice. That was great. I'm glad that we gained some ground and Jersey's back tied for the lead, as it should be. Let's, let's get into it. Let's get into it. Uh, today, we're after having all that fun, we really are here to talk about Vitelli and continue to have fun as we do it. So the big thing that we're here to talk about is that there's, there's two technologies that have joined forces with Vitelli. And we want to get into, first of all, what they are. And then you know, through using those, what are the goals of the company? So let's start with Owen. Kind of give me an overview of the, the technology you're most familiar with, or, or go, go for both if you, if you want to.
1: Sure. Yeah. So Vitelli is a precision livestock company, and we are looking at identifying, replicating the best genetics that perform well in feed efficiency. And we're actually measuring a ton of phenotypic data, and that's really Bryce's specialty, with some of our platforms capturing residual feed intake. If we can find those elite animals that do the best performance in the feedlot or the heifer yard or in the the tie stall or really any environment we can take measurements in. We can replicate those genetics through IVF. So we just went through a rebranding. There's different terms uh, within our company for these new platforms, but basically that's what it boils down to is finding the best genetics through phenotypic capture and replicating them in IVF. And I think that my background is pretty much strictly in genetics and repro. Started with kind of the original OG. I heard that term thrown out at the beginning here, and that made me smile. So uh, of IVF, um, great company, moved on from there and went to work just in genomics on the dairy space, really kind of grew a lot of my thought processes about genomics from that experience Is saying genomics is a great tool, but IVF actually gets you somewhere. And I think that kind of really re-inspired really me to, to get back to the embryo. And I'm just so lucky to be at Vitelli and to be sharing the story. I, I think it's really, really compelling and where the industry needs to go.
0: Well, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm glad that you bring up the phenotypic capture. I think to me, there's a lot of that that gets missed sometimes when we're talking about finding uh, that feed efficiency and, and, and really focusing on that is the metric that we really, really want to see. So Bryce, could you, Kind of expand on that. Tell me how you're finding this data, how you're capturing this data, and and what you're looking for.
2: Vitelli, which was uh, it's a combination of what was formerly known as uh, GrowSafe technology and uh, the Vitelli IVF piece. It's a feed intake uh, measurement system that, gosh, we've been 30 years in development of. Uh, it's been deployed in research, commercial, in uh, seed stock beef operations, in dairy facilities globally, not only just in the United States. And uh, it allows us a uh, precision measurement of dry matter intake and gives us the ability to. Calculate many feed efficiency measures. Uh, most important of uh, residual feed intake. We've been a champion for RFI, you know, since our inception. Personally, my family's gathered this data. In fact, I just got it this afternoon uh, for uh, 13 uh, consecutive calf crops, uh, and this will make Bradley happy because it's on my family's Hereford operation, and you can make uh, tremendous progress in uh, improving efficiency of, of gain on the beef side, uh, some of the efficiencies in growth or, or in uh, milk production that Owen had alluded to in, in his uh, opening statement. It, it really allows you to improve the profit opportunity for your operation.
0: I think we need to get into before we get too much further uh this topic of residual feed intake and really getting down to explaining that what that means and and, and why we're concerned about that versus you know just feed efficiency and mm-hmm. and how we've taken residual feed intake and and what it means to have that that measurement that that is also independent of growth
2: you bet uh you alluded to it a little bit joe it's uh it's a very interesting trait because RFI takes what we would have expected them to intake on test and looks at what they actually, their actual intake was. So, for example, if you had a minus two RFI, that would mean they ate two pounds less than expected for every day that they were on test and it's, it's independent of uh, body weight or or uh, mature size and so you can select for RFI and approve efficiency without you know moving into unprofitable areas in terms of cow size or or uh, some of these other traits you know if there's other metrics that you can use for the selection of, of feed efficiency you know probably the oldest and and what you talk about in the feeding industry is feed to gain But if your sole selection is for feed to gain, you end up with later maturing larger animals. And so if you're raising a terminal breed, maybe that's not a great concern to you. But if you raise a maternal breed and you wanna save the daughters or use them in a maternal crossbreeding program, then uh, mature cow size and uh, cow maintenance cost is important to you.
0: Well, and that's something we've talked about on here before, you know, Bradley and I talk about cow size and, and what's the ideal cow. And it's always dependent on your system, right? And Bradley is going to say his dairy cows are going to be much different uh, because he's a grazing herd versus a, a confinement herd. So, I mean, to me, I'm I'm biased and we've talked about this before. I love cows that look like me. I like cows that are short, squat, uh, big old rib cage and, and that's 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 what I like to see. And I would guess that Bradley likes to see some a little cows that look a little more like that, not necessarily to the extreme that I like. But what do you what do you think, Bradley?
3: Oh, well, it depends what you're, you're you want. If I, I'm talking commercial milk production, sure. I want the shorter, smaller cows that are robust, that can last a long time. It doesn't need to be these big, tall, skinny, huge uh, animals that uh, may not last very long. There's a stark difference in the dairy world between, you know, I'm talking show ring versus commercial milk production. And those can be very different. Yeah. I appreciate them both, but we're here to milk cows and uh, we're, we're going to go with the smaller rounder uh, functional cow.
1: You appreciate them both, but you appreciate the one a little bit more.
3: Of course. <laughs> I'm right there too. If we think about RFI and and uh, Information. You know, how are how are you getting the RFIs? What are you using to collect that sort of? You know, we talk about feed efficiency and feed intakes. What are? How is that actually done? And what what ways are you doing that?
2: Well, we we use what we call our Sense technology, which was uh, formerly our GrowSafe intake bunks, intake nodes. We refer to them. Those bunks uh, are. Uh, connected to a radio frequency transmitter that transmits to a computer. It is uh, weighing the bunk every second of every day. And so when an animal sticks their head through the stanchion, uh, there's an EID reader molded into the top of the bunk. It captures their ID. We know what the bunk weighed when they started. We know how long they the meal event is how long they stay there for that feeding event. We know how much feed disappeared, and we know we can do that within an accuracy of three grams. So it's a it's a very good technology in terms of the accuracy of measurement. You know, in a in a beef scenario, after a warm up period of uh, say a week to ten days, then we take uh, 70 days of intake so that we'd know what a, re, what a uh, repeatable gain would be over that period. And then we use those factors, uh, you know, the pin average for intake, the pin average for gain. We take those factors plus two behavior factors that we monitor to calculate a residual feed intake. Now that's a phenotypic measure for that group that you tested. And uh, we also have um, EPD system that has about 250,000 animals in it over 14 different beef breeds where you can, if you share a pedigree, if you submit that data then we'll send you back EPDs for RFI, dry matter intake and an average daily gain EPD. So let's say you've really put a lot of selection pressure for efficiency well, in every group, half of them are going to have favorable RFIs. Half of them are going to have unfavorable RFIs. But maybe as you submit that data into the database, you find that two-thirds or three-fourths of your animals would be considered efficiency efficient be, based on their breeding value. I think that's the appropriate way to look at it. Will the phenotypes take you in the right direction? Most definitely. But the breeding values will really allow you to use this uh, advanced reproductive technology and make swift genetic progress that Owen works with.
0: I want to jump in real quick, Bradley, before you go. You said three grams was the kind of the, the error on that. And just so everyone has a frame of reference, that's about a penny. A penny weighs two and a half to three grams, just so you have some reference. That's really accurate. Go ahead, Brad.
3: And you're taking body weights. Every time I assume that the animal is coming up for. If
2: if you're not using our, we have an in pin weighing system called grow safe beef. Uh, You can use regular scale weights. Hmm. Traditional would be two weights at the beginning of the test, two weights at the end of the test. And then uh, depending on the length of the test, one or two weights in the middle. With the Grow Safe beef technology, it sits around the water trough and takes a half body weight. And it's weighing every second, just like the feed intake technology. And so we can take that data and convert it to a full body weight. Uh, we have conversion factors that we, you know, once you have 400 weights at your facility, we'll custom, you'll have a custom algorithm just for your facility. But then based on different breed types we have different adjustment factors in that algorithm and so we get where we can predict very accurate full body weights out of those individual weights and if you do that you can cut your test length by 21 days so we can go down from 49 days uh, using that technology versus the traditional 70. you might ask why that has value well it's a financial investment to put this a system like this in. If you can turn that every sixty days, you can test a lot more animals than if you're turning it every eighty days.
0: Absolutely, uh, and we've talked about some of the you know the genetic progress that's obviously uh, beneficial to producers, uh, and and this is actually this technology specifically could be beneficial to producers. Um, so I love hearing that. I mean, that's really the big thing that we're trying to focus on most of the time is what is the producer getting out of this? Or is this just knowledge for knowledge sake? So I'm glad to, to hear that you guys are really thinking about that piece of it. Do we have, I mean, the, one of the big questions that we are getting constantly, especially up here is the dairy beef side of things. So do we have that data yet? Are we getting, are we getting
2: there? You, you want to take that or you want me to go? Owen?
1: Go ahead, Bryce, you start and I'll fill in. I think-
2: yeah, you know we have uh, customers that are capturing this data on calves that that are the result of beef on dairy. I looked at some uh, just in the couple last couple of weeks from uh, a large feedlot lot in in uh, in the West Pacific Northwest, which were uh, Charolais and uh, Holstein and it it was pretty dang amazing the uh, progress in uh, dressing percentage and red meat yield that you could get out of out of that cross. But even it, it's more than just using uh, a certain breed cross. It's pairing the right sire with with the dairy animal. You know, that's different than just needing um, all out gain. If it's going to be profitable, you want to improve the efficiency again. You know, when uh, the animal goes to harvest, the amount the carcass yields is a relevant economic trait.
1: And I think what's nice about these dairy beef crosses is that I think the dairy industry as a whole underestimated how inherently marbled dairy cattle actually are. So when we're mating these dairy beef animals correctly, you know, we can create high value through efficiency, uh, we can create high value through through yield, but I think we can also get a really nicely marbled animal that has a lot of consumer appeal. Um, But I think more and more as we look at the female dairy population in the United States, as that becomes more homozygous, as we get more and more of like females in the milking herd, which I think genomics is helping us rapidly get there. And I think that's a good thing. I think that, you know, if we're talking about sustainability and if we think about, you know, each milkshed as its own kind of natural ecosystem, it's probably not the best thing. Um, but in terms of our, our food production on a terminal end, I think it allows us to make more succinct decisions and more uniform terminal animals at the end of the day.
0: Well, let's expand on that, Owen. You know, we you mentioned sustainability, and I think, you know, we mm-hmm. talked about some of the economics for the producer and obviously, that enhances sustainability for the producer, and that's that's part of sustainability. So, walk me through a little bit more of that—the uh, economic sustainability of this technology, and and how pairing the two can help us, and then again, you know, expand on the environmental side as well.
1: Sure, I think that some of the general thought processes that I've always had, and I've really. I think so glad to be back in the embryo because I think now that the the embryo can actually play a bigger role in that discussion than ever before. The incentives within government, within large co-ops that are, are milk or even on the beef side are looking to say that we're doing everything we can to push the needle back on having a smaller number of animals make the same or more product. And I think it all boils down that way. So, combining the ability to single out those elite animals um, on the terminal end or the maternal end that are the most feed efficient, and combining that with the ability to accelerate the, those genetics in IVF by using a, elite sires over, let's say, dozens of really homozygous type females, you know, females that really fit the same mold genetically time after time. I think that we can create a super terminal and super maternal animal in beef and dairy systems, you know, some of that realism of the swine and poultry industry about, you know, quick generation turn about, you know, creating uniform chicken breasts in every single package. I think that we are able via the embryo to approach, maybe not with the same accuracy or the same consistency, but I think we can move that direction. And I think in general, that means the consumer's happier at the end of the day. And sustainability wise, I see this marketing trend. You know, sustainability was a four letter word and still is for most people. I think probably a lot of guys on this podcast that hear that from their co op or at an extension meeting or even from their bull stud, I think that um, that word scares people. And I really feel at the bottom of my heart, the bottom of my heart says that it matters to the cattle, it matters to the consumer, and it matters to the people involved in our food production system. And I think all those things aligning really can boil down to management, of course, um, luck. um, But really, if you're doing the right thing genetically, you can set the foundation to make a lot more sustainable decisions.
0: Well, I think that that helps everyone you know and I think yeah I, part of the way for me to take the the sting out of that word is to remind people that we're also talking about economics sustainability and we're, we're trying to keep people in business that's right. that's one of our main goals right so I think that helps quite a bit now you mentioned elite sires and I like that term and I'd like to I'd like to hear from Bryce as the you know the sales director for for seed stock what what is his elite sire what do they look like
2: well, I, I guess what I'm gonna tell you, just uh, looking at a data set with one of my uh, counterparts, we took, they were 395 uh, feeder stairs that were fed for 250 days and we broke them into quadrants and we compared quadrant one to quadrant four. They both intake the same amount. They both ate the same amount quadrant one though weighed 116 pounds more at harvest than the least profitable ones which was 100 pounds more carcass weight their dressing percentage was exactly the same and their quality grade was exactly the same so the ability to intake feed and convert it to greater output that's that's what an elite sire does you know there was a A study done out of Oklahoma State, where they took cattle out of their extension teaching and research herd, and uh, of course they had student labor, so they did dry matter intakes on non-crossbred commercial Angus cows versus F1 black baldies. The F1 black baldies ate two pounds less per day. Well, What does that mean in tall grass prairie in northeast Oklahoma? That means a black baldy pear takes one less acre for a season than the commercial Angus cow that they had in their herd. What's the limiting factor in beef production? It's usually the biggest cost is land ownership. It doesn't matter what size cow you like. If you like bigger cows or smaller cows, If I like bigger cows and I want my cows to be over 1400 pounds, but they eat like they're 1200 pound cows, smells like efficiency to me. If I like smaller cows, 1200 pound cows, but they eat like they're a thousand pound cows, like my dad or grandfather had, that's a win. And just some figures that we've put together Uh, Through selection for RFI, you can improve uh, feed intake by 12%. When you do that, you reduce uh, methane, which is one of the big components of greenhouse gas emissions, by 30%, and you reduce manure production by 17%. We may not all be in love with the word sustainability, but globally, the reason a lot of our systems have been installed is around greenhouse gas emission and the ability to find more efficient genetics and uh, lessen the environmental footprint of dairy or beef production.
1: I think, yeah, and I think that's really our company mission and I think personal mission in a lot of ways. We, we've we gotta be able to say that that we stand for food first. You know, technology is great. But how well we can apply it all the way through the supply chain and say, you know, we made this impact by helping drive these decisions at conception. Uh, actually, before conception, you know, sire tests, um, all, all the different things Bryce was just talking about. So driving it before conception, making those decisions and then ending up with the consumer, you know, having a product that they're really enjoying that had a significant decrease in environmental impact, I think is is really a powerful story. And I think it puts our company and us as professionals, I think in a really unique place, if we specifically, if we're looking at at IVF providers, it's not a new technology, but to be able to combine it with this thought process and this mentality of using it to better impact the planet and better impact um, the consumer at the end of the day, pretty proud of that.
2: And, and for some of those that are still on the fence about sustainability, two thirds of the cost of beef production is in, is in feed. So it just makes plain old fashioned sense to select for improved feed efficiency. And you get all these other benefits that will allow over time for companies and, and beef producers to differentiate their products because they can make a sustainability claim and they can use advanced technology to rapidly multiply the best of the best.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think the same on the dairy side. I think if we think there's a, probably a lot of your audience, a lot of our audience now, I guess, you know, is probably out milking cows right now. What does that mean if we could help decommodify the product that you're selling at the end of the day? And I think that's a really powerful statement a vision. I think that we all should have or could have in the dairy industry is taking bids for tankers of milk you know this tank was produced by cows that were this breed composite that had this feed intake that produced this amount of components and and a lot of that is really you know the start of that is now i think i think that that mentality and that kind of paradigm shift of genetics is just for my bull stud or my feed company is, is the guy who needs to be driving efficiency. I think that we can really empower the producer to keep moving the, the needle.
0: I think that's important to note. And I, I think we'll wrap it there where we're talking about, you know, uh, the big message being improving efficiency is good for everyone, the environment uh, and your own economics. At this point, if you do it correctly, also... Uh, our image with uh, the general public. So efficiency, good for everybody. And that's what we should be focused on. So we're going to wrap there. Next week, uh, we'll be having Vitelli back again. Make sure you come back and, and join us again for that. Thank you, uh, Bryce and Owen, for being on today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. And with that, uh, if you want to learn more, please, please visit vitelli.com. That dot V-Y-T-E-L-L-E.com. And if you have questions for us, scathing, rebuttals, any of that kind of stuff, you can send them to the room at umn.edu.
1: That's T-H-E-M-O-O-S-R-O-O-M at umn.edu.
0: Check out our website as well, extension.umn.edu. And with that, we'll end the plugs for today. Thank you everybody for listening. We'll catch you next week.
1: Bye. Guys, that was good. I felt that that was fun. I was kind of (laughs) nervous.
0: You didn't think you were going to have fun today.
1: Well, I didn't know. I had no idea.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You thought that was just going to be awful and boring. I've
1: kind of been like wondering what this was going to be like and I really enjoyed (laughs) myself. Okay. Well,
0: this is what we usually do, It, it uh, if we can get it to move and continue to be like we're just sitting at the bar having a beer and yeah. writing on the back of a napkin to try to figure out the world's problems. That's kind of what we want it to feel like, <laughs> um, which we've all done plenty, right? Right. right.